Welcome to The Curious Sheep, the podcast for everything sheep. We'll ask questions, challenge ideas, learn from each other, and share the wonderful world of farming and all the fun that goes with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro at shepherding, just bought your first sheep, or live in the city and are curious about farming, I hope you can gain some knowledge for your own farm or a tidbit of farm info to share at your next dinner party. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Curious Sheep. This week, we are heading all the way over to California to speak with Frankie. Frankie manages a sheep flock, a new flock for him, even though he's grown up on a, or even though he grew up on a sheep ranch. Um, But he's now managing his own flock and doing some really cool stuff with weed abatement and grazing vineyards. He's got some really cool opportunities, so I hope you get some great pointers about some of the different things you could do in your area and we also chat about you know breaking out and doing your own thing and starting your own farm which can have its own challenges but certainly also a lot of opportunities enjoy this week we are heading to california where i am joined by frankie from the fu sheep company hi frankie Excellent. Hey Romy, how are um, you? I just wish you would send me some of your sunshine. <laughs> yes, we are lucky here in the Golden okay. State. That's for sure. Yeah, um, always a little jealous seeing everyone other everyone else's sheep farms who are in the tropical areas <laughs> compared to Canada. Um, why don't we start? Can you tell me about your farm? and who's all involved in kind of what you guys do on a daily basis. Sure. Um, So I guess technically I'm still considered a part-time shepherd. Uh, I still have a day job, so I do the best I can to manage everything. But um, I run about 400 ewes right now, and um, my business is basically a grazing operation. So we go out and um, try to keep our costs as low as we can by, you know, going and grazing farmers' residual crops. Um, and other times of the year, we'll actually provide a service of weed abatement um, out on different plots of land, as well as um, do some things in vineyards most recently, where we'll do weed control, leaf pull at the prior to harvest, and then um, a post-harvest cleanup of the vineyards too. So between those times of the year, we're pretty you know, that takes it pretty much all the year. Um, as far as who's on board team wise, uh, me, myself and I, and my border collie, that's, that's pretty much what we've got for now mm-hmm. until I can afford to get and some describe help. describe the area that you're in, kind of your climate, temperature, what do you deal with out there? Well, right now, as we're at the end of February, um, We've got, I believe it's 70 degrees today in sunshine, mm-hmm. uh, and that's Fahrenheit. And uh, and then, you know, our coldest time of the year, usually late December, early January, our daily highs are usually around the 50 degrees, and our lows might sometimes get down, you know, to freezing or maybe just a little bit below. Um, so uh, summers get real hot, but it's a dry heat. Uh, we don't really have any humidity here in this part of California. And um, yeah, so as long as you've got shade for the animals and 
and uh, good clean water for them. That you know the heat doesn't bother them. So mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty fortunate. Precipitation wise, do you get a lot, or is a lot of the area irrigated? You know, it's kind of spotty, and um, it, so much can change in just thirty miles from you know one spot to the next here, but. Um, here in Lodi specifically, we average usually, at least over the last few years, we've been averaging probably about 12 inches of rain annually. Um, I know a couple years ago we had like 32 inches, which was crazy. And then this year we're in a huge drought where we're getting maybe, I think we're at six inches. Yeah, so yeah, far. You're, it's the precipitation is the, the main weather factor that you're having to juggle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, um, our sheep get a lot of open space that time of the year where, you know, we usually in the wintertime, we go across about 600 acres of alfalfa fields and we make real big, big fields and it's always warm rain. So, um, and starting next year, we won't be lambing in that time of the year anymore. So, um, we really don't have any concerns. And your production cycle, when are you breeding sheep? When do you lamb sheep? Well, you know, it, the four years I've been here in Lodi on my own, um, I've kind of tried just about everything you can do. I've done a year round breeding where the ram stays with the ewes all year. I've, I've lambed in the fall. I've lambed in the spring. I've lambed in the summer. I've, I've done just about everything, but um based on marketing that's most appealing here for our area and when i can best utilize all the different um crops that are available for grazing we're going to be doing a mid-february to mid-march lambing and what kind of breeds of sheep are you working with well that's another good question we've got quite a few um it's it's basically a you know, a mixed breed operation. I don't have anything purebred. Um, most of our mixes would, you know, consist of like a Dorset and a Rambouillet cross. Um, the Rambouillets are nice for their hardiness and, and their grazing and herdability. Dorsets kind of throw in some, uh, as you know, they throw in your twinning and milking and, and mothering ability um, and a little bit of, a little bit more of a frame on those lambs. Um, and a lot of times we'll cross those ewes back with a Suffolk um, or another Dorset. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. We do do a little bit of, uh, I keep saying we, I don't know why, I guess me and my dog. But anyways, uh, I do a little bit of experimentation with some of the Dorpers just because they're kind of handy for some of these grazing projects. I don't really care for their attitude just because they're a little... Um, spirited, I guess you could say, is the nice way of putting it. But, um, you know, you, you can keep those on a year-round breeding schedule. And uh, they they spit out a lot of lambs every year. And, um, you know, as long as you can keep them contained in your fences, they could be pretty lucrative. And, and they're really interesting because they maintain a much better body score. They're a lot hardier um, and more thrifty than some of these more traditional wool breeds. And they're able to get by on a lot less nutritional-wise during the non-lactation periods of the year. Are you lambing out on the pasture as well? Or do you have any barns that you work with for lambing? 
So um, this year, for the last time, um, I lambed my sheep in the fall um, on the alfalfas, late fall through the winter. And it worked out pretty well. Um, I did have quite a bit of predator problems, though. Um, about halfway through the season, I lost quite a few lambs to coyotes. Um, so that's why I don't really care for doing too much pasture lambing. I do have a few small, they're not really barns per se. They're just smaller little structures. 30, uh, let's see, what are they? They're 20 feet wide by 60 feet long. I've got two of those that I set up some lambing jugs in and, uh, I'll try to rotate most of my, most of my use through there and maybe add on another structure this year. Mm-hmm. to accommodate and all my use do anything special at lambing are you tagging and weighing or how do you do all of your record keeping so i have been like so excited seeing you and some of the other sheep producers out in canada the way you guys do your um your record keeping you know i know the gallagher system's kind of um popular out there I'm looking forward to being able to afford one of those. I think pretty soon I'm going to bite the bullet. Um, so I would like to tag and, and do the, you know, electronic um, tag reading and all that kind of thing. Right now, it's just because of the way I've been lambing, you know, out in the pasture. And it's been hard to do any kind of real record keeping because I don't really get my hands on any of the of the lambs or the ewes unless there happens to be a problem. Um, so starting next season for my lambing, I will be tagging everything and starting to build a, a record for all my animals at that point. Are you as an American producer required to tag everything like when it leaves the farm? How, but like, what are you required to do as far as that? Is there any regulation? So, um, our only tag that's required is a, just a scrapey tag, um, when they, uh, if they get sold to like an auction or something like that. But even if they go to the, the slaughterhouse directly, um, they don't need that tag um, from my understanding. But the, the auctions will actually charge you like a $2 a head fee or something okay. if they don't have so those like if you're tags. going just direct to processor, they would just kind of write down how many you brought in. Nobody needs a tag and you're good to go. Exactly. exactly. A lot of Canadian farmers would likely be very jealous. We have to do a lot of, um, uh, everything has to be tagged when it leaves a farm. And we're starting to work on as an industry, um, there's some transport and traceability rec- regulations um, coming down the tube. So we're starting to get used to doing all of that. Um, but there's definitely pros and cons to doing to doing like traceability, but yeah, and it, it adds another, another layer. Oh, wow. It's mm-hmm. almost like the cattle industry yeah. with the branding. That's interesting. Um, for all of your different, all these unique feed opportunities do you have? Let's, do you want to just cover a few of them? I know um, you do the vineyards, you've grazed um, a landfill. How have you built up this network or is it just like a word of mouth where um, there's a landowner that sees opportunity to um, use your sheep to control or to use up that extra um, material growing on that field? Sure. Um, yeah, it, it really does boil down to, you know, a word of mouth or, or 
mean, you know, knocking on doors or, or whatever it takes, you know, I mean, when I first started here, I wasn't doing any grazing. I didn't have too many ewes. I think I started with actually only 25 ewes, I'm pretty sure. And I was just feeding them at home. But um, as I expanded and, and saw the opportunities out here with, you know, firstly our um, alfalfa fields, it was a little bit tough to get some of these guys convinced, you know, to put the sheep on there because school has taught a lot of the younger farmers some of these ideas, which I guess... I don't know. There, there may be some merit to it, but if you manage the animals right, um, you know, they've, they've been taught that animals grazing on pastures can be kind of detrimental from a compaction standpoint and, and things like that. So we definitely had some pushback there. But um, as I was able to prove, you know, we make large fields that way, if there's, if there's rain, the sheep aren't all packed in one small little area, you know, really pack in the ground. They've got a lot of space. Um, you can't even tell after three, four inches of rain that sheep were ever in a, a field that we graze. So, um, you know, it's just building the trust. And I think that first year I was able to get, or our second year, I'm sorry, we were able to get 200 acres of alfalfa. Now I'm up to 600. Um, that's my favorite thing to graze just because of course the nutrition is so high on the alfalfa. The vineyard thing is kind of new. Um, actually, it's very new. I haven't even been on vineyards for a month yet. But um, I met some people who were very nice enough to give us an opportunity um, to, to do some grazing there. And they provided a demo for other um, growers to come out and check out what I'm doing. Um, got a lot of positive feedback. And actually, now I've got more people interested in, in grazing sheep on their acreage than I have sheep to graze. So that's really good. Um, and the vineyards actually have three times of year we can graze. We can do a um, we can do a weed abatement service at this time of the year, and then we can do leaf pull prior to harvest, which is just the sheep going through thinning out some of the suckers and the excess leaf material, so you can get more um, you know nutrients going right to the grape, and they can get a little bit more sun for ripening. And then we can do a post harvest cleanup where the sheep will get all the dead and decaying. Uh, leaves and, and old grapes and everything. So that's not, you know, rotting on the vine all winter. And then as far as any other jobs, you know, I do solar farms when I get those opportunities. Um, and then I, at one time, I even did grazing right in the middle of um, a pretty big city here. And uh, that that was kind of interesting. But um, it's it's honestly whatever comes up. And that's the great thing about sheep is they're just so um, flexible and and the fencing we have, even though I know Romy and I were talking about this before the podcast, but it, the fencing could kind of become messy and a pain sometimes, but it sure is portable and it's, it's, it's easy to move and um, gives us a lot of options for grazing with the sheep for sure. For setting up um, in different areas, I, I mean, you get them there, right? So transporting something you have to deal with um, and your fencing, setting up your fencing at your different location um do you bring your own watering equipment like water tanks how do you make sure everyone has water as well at your different areas yeah so that's another big thing i envy the canadian producers um over is you guys you know the ones that raise their sheep in barns you know everything's automatic water and oh man don't take that for granted um yeah most of the fields you know i've got to tank the water in and 
um, I set out these hundred gallon water troughs and, and usually have to fill those daily. And, um, sometimes my water source isn't that close to the fields. So I've got to, you know, kind of make some pretty far treks with my tank, but, um, you know, 400 U's during the heat of our summers where we get up to, you know, sometimes 105 up to 110 degrees on real hot stretches here. Um, you know, these U's will be drinking two gallons a day. So you're, you're hauling a good, you know, seven, 800 gallons of water every day to the sheep. So that, that is definitely mm -hmm. like a pretty big summer and job. With all the different that they could be eating, are you feeding any special mineral or how do you manage that? Uh, as far as making sure they're still getting what they need. <clears throat> sure. Um, so for the most part, like during the alfalfa season, I don't supplement that with anything just because, um, you know, that's usually our rating season and it's really hard to get any kind of mineral to the sheep at that point. And the alfalfa is just so high in all these different nutrients. I mean, I'm no nutritionist or scientist, but um, they, they seem to just really look the best they do all year when they're on the alfalfas. So um, I don't give them any mineral then. I do provide them a loose mineral in some little barrels, um, you know, throughout the year when we're on other things that are more marginal, like a, like a wheat stubble possibly, or when I was grazing at the landfill, um, just this last year where the feed was maybe, you know, not super, super nutritional and they might be lacking some things. Um, I found a really good multi-purpose, um, loose mineral that, that I've been giving them and it's been working out really well. Do you have tips? or anything specific that you could share with other producers about how to connect or approach landowners or what kind of information they should be providing about um, how grazing your sheep would benefit both the landowner. And I mean, you benefit getting the feed off of it, but it's a bit of a mutual benefit. Sure, yeah, well, uh, you know, it, I will admit it's, it's tough at first to, to get people to give you the opportunity to get on their field. It's not impossible, obviously, but, um, if you do find somebody, even if they're small, you know, like what I'm starting with these vineyards right now, I'm not sure how well, you know, the, you know, you're not from California, so I don't know if you know the Lodi region, but here is, it's extremely, extremely full of vineyards. I mean, that's, probably 70% of our land here is in vineyards and um, it, it was tough to get a first crack at it but don't turn down a small opportunity would be my tip you know um, because as, as soon as somebody gives it a shot everybody wants to come by and see how it's going and that's how you prove yourself right there is just by doing a really good job you know dotting your eyes uh, crossing your t's on everything you can to make sure you're um, you know, really putting your best foot forward as far as proving that, um, you know, you're taking care of the farmer's land, you're taking care of your animals. And once you get that first little opportunity, um, like the one I'm on right now is a 10 acre block of, of grapes, which my sheep only lasted 10 days on it. But after I got that opportunity and I had other growers come out and see what I was doing, I've got offers to graze, you know, 200 acres wow. or more just for this season which I'll not even be able to get to. So um, it's just all about how you present yourself. And um, there are a lot of benefits that, 
you know, anybody can even just Google online that you can present to some of these farmers about, you know, the benefits. Um, my alfalfa growers specifically, you know, the, the guy that gave me a chance, I told him, I said, you won't regret this because your tonnages are going to increase next year. And sure enough, when I, uh, the following season after grazing, he told me that he was getting between 30 and 50% more hay off of his fields um, due to the fact that my sheep had grazed and fertilized those fields for the first and second cutting of his new season. So that was, you know, that yeah, was pretty that's a cool really to hear. Awesome. A uh, little tidbit you can, you can take along. I'm sure not everyone could get, you know, the same kind of yield increase, but it's definitely proof that what you're offering is going to give them something as well. Do you, do you have any exactly. kind of contract or something that you sign with landowners or how do you work about, is there anything formal that's set up? You know, things for the most part out here are pretty much just a handshake and a smile. Um, we don't really do any contracts. I mean, I do have um, a couple properties that are, you know, my my long-term leases just as kind of my home base. I don't own any property yet. Um, so I, I rent, I just picked up another one this year. So I rent 20, about 20 acres that is just my home base. And that, of course, I would get a, a contract because it's, three to five year lease, depending on the property we're talking about. But other than that, just to go out and, and graze these crops and have the sheep out there for a month or two or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's mm -hmm. just a handshake. And if you've got sheep moving around or especially if they're on the vineyard, have you had to deal with the public directly? Any tips on how to handle any of that? Um, yeah, I mean, this is the thing none of us ever like to talk about, but, you know, sheep die. Um, so you want to make sure you're, you know, getting out there early. You know, if, if anything, you know, if you lost any animals or anything, you want to get those out of there, especially if your animals are grazing near roads or whatever. You, you know, it creates a bad perception pretty quick when people are driving by and seeing, you know, a dead yeah for sure so um you know other than that as long as as long as you're taking care of the you know the property that you're on and respect it as it's your own i mean mm -hmm. um there's there's i really don't have any other tips in regards to that uh, as you know dealing with the public um there really aren't any other problems you'll get people that you know, drive by and, and think the sheep are so cool and stop and, and take pictures with their kids and things like that. Maybe ask a question if I'm out there. But um, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm lucky I'm kind of on my own. I don't so you've done all the hard much. work of breeding and lambing and feeding your sheep all these cool crops. What about marketing your lambs? Are you finishing them on grains in any way? How did you do that? And then where do they go to get processed? So, as best as I can, um, I don't know if, if you've heard of the um, Pipestone management system of sheep. Um, that's, that I believe originated out in Pipestone, Minnesota. And I actually went to a seminar almost two years ago out there. And it was very, it was very interesting. And they kind of gave us tips on, you know, how they finish their lambs and how to, how to get the most... Um, expedited growth out of their lambs in a natural way so 
Uh, I am finishing my lambs on a mix of a pellet that is specifically formulated by um, Pipestone, and then um, then the seventy other seventy five percent of that mixture is a just a mm-hmm. rolled corn. Um, yeah, and that, that seems like, to work out uh, really well. A lot of producers here in Canada on a, on a do like a, a, a thirty four to a thirty percent, thirty eight percent protein pellet, and then mixing it with whole grains. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, your guys' uh, protein percentage is a lot higher. I'd, I'd like to get a higher at the at a four to one ratio. Um, then a lot of finisher feeds appear are kind of twelve to fifteen, maybe sixteen percent, depending on age of lamb. Yeah, and then oh okay, but we're leading okay. Like if it's yeah. a if it's a you know accelerated program like us, we're weaning at sixty days, so they're fairly young still. What are you weaning, or how do you how do you do the weaning process right there? Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, mine mine are going to actually be on a very similar schedule. Uh, mine will be weaned at probably sixty days, and um, and then the ewes will just go back out and graze, and the lambs will stay home and. And just finish that on that diet, Hope, hoping to market them, you know, somewhere around 130, 140 pounds. That's kind of the. And do you go usually the direct to processor, or are you bringing some to auction? What are your options? Um. So, like with some of the, with some of like the less traditional breeds, like the Dorpers that I have, um, those ones don't really finish out to be very big. So you're selling more of an 80, 90 pound lamb and those will go pretty much always through the auctions. Um, but everything else um, that I sell goes to Superior Farms, which uh, if you haven't heard of them, they, you know, they buy all the producers' lambs from around their processor and, and then they stick their label on it and, and market to grocery stores and restaurants and things like that. So um, that's that's pretty much what mm-hmm. I do, I'm fortunate that they're only an hour away from my headquarters here. Um, yeah. So it makes it pretty convenient. Do you do any direct-to-consumer sales? You know, I definitely intend to. I mean, if you go on my website, you'll see I've I've got a page for that where I have my prices listed. However, um, I just really haven't pushed those sales. So, I mean, unless it's people that have been buying from me for a while or, or you know, friends or or, you know, family or something like that. Um, I don't really do any direct marketing at this point. Different from for me, only because I've been doing this my whole life. Uh, my dad, I'm actually a, I guess you'd technically call me a fourth generation sheep rancher here. However, I'm the first to really go out on my own and, and do things by myself. But, um, you know, the, the thing that was a trick for me was, you know, I, I grew up with my dad who had a thousand head of ewes and, and, you know, I, I learned everything that I know from him. However, you know, I was, I was trying to implement some of these newer ideas, kind of replicating some of the ways you guys do your weaning and finishing and, and things like that. And because we had never done that before, I just thought to myself, well, sheep are sheep and, and I understand and, you know, I'll, I'll shoot from the hip and figure it out. And it, it turned out that I made a lot of mistakes and there were a lot of things I didn't know. Um, because when you're grazing sheep all the time, you don't really think too much about their nutritional needs because they're out eating as much as they want, for instance. So I made a lot of mistakes from a nutritional standpoint. 
at Lamming, I made mistakes, um, you know, with not doing proper vaccinations. There, there's a lot of things that I never did that I, I learned along the way. So I think I try to get a little bit too big too soon myself. Um, and my, I started with my 25, but by the end of my first year, I had like almost 400 sheep and it was a complete disaster. I just, on top of it, we had like three times the average rainfall than usual, which didn't help me. But, um, so that really put the brakes on and, and financially really stunted me. Um, so now slowly I've been self-funding and building myself back up. And now I've got a good, a good group of about 400 ewes that I'm, I think I'm doing things right with, and I'm starting to notice better results. So, um, can you share a little bit of the, with, the farm you, know, you grew up the start on? Of it. Sure. Um, so, uh, my dad raises sheep in Tracy, which is about, oh, I don't know, 40 miles away from where I am here in Lodi. And, um, it's a pretty similar situation he has out there minus the vineyards, um, they don't really do any vineyard grazing out that way, but they do have a lot of alfalfas and, and things like that. Um, you know, he, my dad learned sheep from his father who uh, immigrated here to America from the Basque country, which if you're not familiar, that's a small region in between France and Spain in the Pyrenees mountains. But um, so he came here at 17 and, and learned the sheep trade and then had my dad kind of late in life and, and, taught him everything he knows um and then i've been working with my dad for a long time we just you know sometimes father son working together on the farm doesn't work so um we decided to kind of do our own thing and and that's how i got started but um yeah my, my dad runs his animals pretty much the same way i do except he finishes his lambs on the ewes on the grass whereas i wean early but um yeah that's that's pretty much all there is about that he does have his region does have a lot higher um concentration of predators and things out there which was always mm -hmm. a struggle but other than coyotes other than that, is there anything else you guys the deal with for predators you know out his way um he does have mountain lions um not too often but once in a while you will get one that will come down from the hills and and they can be pretty destructive because they, unlike a coyote who will, you know, kill and usually eat its prey that night, the lions will come and they'll, you know, sometimes they'll take out five to 10 lambs at one time. And then they kind of halfway bury the ones they don't eat that night and they save up and come back another time. So they, they can become a real nuisance. Um, other than that, we do get some packs of, you know, like stray wild dogs sometimes that can really cause problems out here because they aren't killing to eat they kill to kill and um that that's a huge problem so luckily we don't have too too much of that but when it does happen um you know do you use livestock guardian it, it dogs? pretty devastating so I'm planning on biting the bullet and, and getting one probably this year. The only thing that's held me back from it is, you know, we're in more of an urban area. Um, I, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of busy roads. We have a lot of people that, you know, walk by and are walking their dogs or riding a bike and, and, 
you know, these dogs are meant to protect their animals. And sometimes, you know, I've heard stories of them jumping out of the fence and <laughs> going after a person or a, another dog or something if they're not familiar with them. Um, or, you know, people wanting to pet the dog and feed it and that creates a liability if it bites the person. So it's it's a little bit of a different dynamic out here. We're not so secluded, um, which is better a better environment for the guard dogs. But um, just because of the losses I dealt with this last winter with the coyotes, I'm going to have to go ahead and get one and just kind of hope for the best that, you know, maybe I can um, make it a little bit more human friendly and, and yeah, that's a tough, a less tough of a liability for sure, especially when you have people in the public. Yeah. Um, yeah. The U.S. sheep yeah, industry, exactly. is there something you would like to share? Like what, what are some good things going on in the U.S. sheep industry right now? From, from state to state, the thing that's interesting about the U.S. sheep industry is that things vary so much. Um, so, for instance, you know, uh, like in my area, we've got really good weather. We've got a lot of residual farm crops to graze, whereas in other areas, um, it's more mountainous. Um, you're, you're grazing sheep on government land. Um, it, it's just, it's a little bit of a different situation. And I know in those areas, it's, it's kind of actually difficult because, um, they have a lot of problems with wolves and, and the government doesn't really give the ranchers the opportunity to exterminate the wolves and things like that. So those areas are kind of difficult. Um, however, from a positive marketing standpoint, I'd say across the board, the sheep industry is, is moving in the right direction. You know, we have a lot of, um, what we'd call an ethnic trade here. Um, we have a lot of Middle Eastern people, a lot of Hispanic people that are, are big consumers of lamb here. And it's, I think it's really driven up the market, not only on lambs, but it's really driven up our coal U market too, which has been very nice. Um, but right now we're getting on the U S dollar, we're getting, you know, 80 cents to up to a dollar 20 per pound on our coal use right now, which is really fantastic. Um, so I, I, from a marketing standpoint, there's a lot of good promotion out there of, of American lamb. Um, you know, we have a lot of imports here from Australia, New Zealand, but, uh, I've noticed over the last 10 years, we've had a really, really big effort from, you know, some of the big players like superior farms doing a good job of, of going out and, and promoting yeah, I, we so it's, pretty much it's have been a real positive here. thing. There's so much demand. And I always like to point out to, to people and there's still a lot of farmers in the egg industry that don't really understand the sheep industry and don't necessarily see, you know, they don't understand why there's so much demand for lamb, but us in, us in North America are a little bit stupid because everywhere else in the world, Sheep, lamb, and goat is a staple of a diet. We're just getting, and exactly. we get more and more exactly. um, people from other countries. And then I think that also links into um, more North Americans who didn't, you know, have lamb as part of their diet. I think they're considering it more of an option now. Sure. Sure. No, it definitely is. And it's, it's almost becoming like, um, 
like the a cool thing to consume you know uh you go out to a fancy restaurant a lot of times they have lamb and people have never had it before and and lamb i've i've found from so many of my friends is one of those things it's kind of like oysters you know people don't like it or <laughs> people don't like it even though they've never tried it so um one once they've had it and it's been you know prepared properly it's pretty hard to not enjoy a good you know a good lamb chop or a leg of lamb or or you know stew or something like that so um I think it it is good to have, you know, some some higher population of these cultures coming in from other countries and yeah, and absolutely. making this more mainstream. On that note, it's, do you it's have a favorite cool. lamb recipe? Oh boy, um, that's hard. Uh, <laughs> well, it's I mean none of these none of these things I do with my lamb are really that you know novel. But um, I'd say my favorite thing to do with lamb, I, I love the lamb ribs. Those are my absolute favorite. Um, and I just, I, I coat them with garlic, salt, and pepper and put them in the oven and bake them at 350 and pour a little red wine over them, you know, a little bit before you pull them out. And I mean, that is my favorite part of lamb. I mean, chops are great, you know, on the barbecue or or um, broiling them or cooking them stovetop and leg of lamb's great. Stew's wonderful, but I don't know. There's something about those lamb ribs done right. I will have to give ribs another try really, really because really that's good. probably the one cut we've had a couple times and maybe I just need to try a different recipe, but we just aren't fans yet of lamb ribs. So I usually just we do like, I'll do like bone broth with it or oh, something. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh! Send them all my way. I love them. <laughs> no, they're really good. If if you don't leave it as a slab, if you just cut them into their individual ribs, and you, um, you know, garlic, salt, pepper. Some people like to put some brown sugar. I I'm not too big on that. I I like the lamb's natural flavor just with the garlic salt. But um, and you bake them for a while and and pour some red wine. I, I've, so that's the trick. I've Having not them yet met a person as individual ribs, that. not as a slab. It helps them kind of melt down because, as you know, lamb mm-hmm. compared to a lot of meats is pretty fatty. So it gives it an opportunity to really mm-hmm. cook a lot of that fat out and just leave with that crispy little layer of fat on there to complement the, oh, that make the me, succulent that makes meat. Me it's, now. it's pretty I hard. Good. Every time I ask people this question, <laughs> it <laughs> always makes me hungry. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. I mean, you're pretty thorough. I, I think that's. That's pretty much it that I can think of. You know, it's just, it's, oh man, it's a, it's a very labor intensive business when you're doing the grazing. And that's, you know, that's the main thing that I'd stress is that um, not, not that what you do isn't, but it's just different. You know, Um, when they're in a barn or or at home, it, you have a peace of mind of, um, of at least knowing where they are, you know, and when I've got sheep grazing, 20 miles away from my house and and you know all they have between them and a busy road is three strands of poly wire you know um that that's what makes what i do a little bit stressful and and frustrating but um yeah that's why i love sharing all these stories because everyone does such a completely different thing and it doesn't matter what you do we all have our own separate <laughs> struggles and but it's the same animal which is the cool thing right 
we can do so many different things. Um, but yeah, we all have our, our own different, different struggles. Exactly. Yeah, I know they, I mean, for being, you know, such an easy care animal for the most part, you know, if you've got a pretty good herd, I mean, there are just so many different ways to do things from time of lambing to, you know, your feeding program to, you know, the way you manage their, their health. And I mean, there's, there's all these from predator problems to, you know, I mean, there are so many different dynamics, which really makes it interesting and also sometimes frustrating because you want to, you know, maybe lean on more experienced producers on how they do things. But a lot of times what they do doesn't work for you. So, you know, one thing my dad always told me is um, there's no right or wrong way to do sheep. You have to just do it the best way that works for you. And and that's kind of what I'm finding. So I take a little bit of the traditional California um, way of doing things. And I take a little bit of the Canadian way of doing things and a little bit of the Minnesota way of doing things. And it it's kind of made it a pretty interesting operation. I do have to admit, I get a lot of, um, I don't want to say judgment necessarily, but I, I think a lot of the people here that all do it the same way, everybody lambs in the fall on the pasture, um, the commercial people, I should say. And You're such a rebel. And like, <laughs> yeah, but I just, I'm tired of that because things here are getting so much more um there's just so much more development here there's so many more people now than there were even 10 15 years ago and i mean the roads are busier and it's just it's a lot of liability trying to graze sheep out and around now so i'm my goal someday as i can hopefully at some point buy my own piece of property is to wind up pretty much replicating what you guys do out there and what i've learned in minnesota because um you know, where you can grow your own feed and, and those types of things. But of course, that's going to be a while because it takes some capital to, to do all those different things. But um, but that that's the goal because it, it's hard. And a lot of the people here, I don't feel like really see where things are going with the industry. And it, like I mentioned earlier, it's really tough to make money when you're sheep or having one lamb a year. And that's what a lot of these guys have. And it's worked because what they've been grazing has been cheap or free and they don't need a lot of production. But as those opportunities um, decrease because we have more plantings of, of orchards, which are tough to graze because a lot of the nut orchards you can't graze due to E. coli regulations and things like that. Um you know, the only, the only other permanent crop you can really graze is vineyards. And that's still kind of a new thing here. So people are going to have to kind of recalibrate how they do their business if they want to stay at it long term and be a little bit more progressive. And I'm hoping that, you know, maybe what I'm doing is possibly, you know, here in this area, at least maybe laying groundwork for other people to kind of follow suit at some point once I am the guinea pig and figure it out. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, thanks so much for sharing your story. I think you've got some really unique opportunities and kind of a, a new way of looking at it. So wishing you the best of luck and um, good luck with your upcoming lambing season. Do you have any favorite resources, books, links, social media accounts that you want to share? Or where do you go when you have a question about sheep? I mean, you know, I, I really... Um, do a lot of research with uh, um, 
or, or reading a lot of literature on the Pipestone management program out in Pipestone, Minnesota, as I referred to earlier. I mean, that is um, really taught me so, so much about, you know, aspects of the sheep industry I didn't understand from a nutritional to a, um, oh gosh, to a health standpoint to, um, you know, even I mean, from a marketing standpoint, I didn't realize even when the highest demand of different types of lamb carcasses were uh, here in America. So um, I learned so much from that. Um, they offer actually a course. I know because of COVID things have been kind of messed up, but once a year they do have a course um, where people can go to. And they also do some kind of, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a, a I don't know if you conference with them, but something where you can be part of their group and then sign up and then they will, um, you know, they'll, they'll give you tips or, or help you out with your operation and help you get set up or, or, you know, make your operation better basically. So for lack of better words, but, um, other than that, you know, I've learned so much from you guys, um, you, Sandy Brock, um, you know, some of the, some of the bigger players out there, um, there's a few other Canadian producers. I just, Seeing what you guys do, you know, you can read all you want to read about sheep, but until you actually see it in action and see the challenges that are there in real life, that's that's the best learning, in my opinion. Yeah, I've gained so much, too, from, from social media and all different countries, and there's so many little nuanced tips and things that you can pick up and yeah, some of it's hard to learn in a book. It it really is. Yeah. So I mean, I we don't really have really a, other than myself, which I don't do a very good job of of posting things on social media as much as you guys do. But um, in America, we don't really have anybody that really gives a good view of their operation as well as some of you guys do in Canada. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, so keep it up. I mean, it's it's really awesome, and you're helping a lot of people. That's here. We need uh, you just got to start posting more. But yeah, I follow a couple of producers in the states, but uh, that's kind of interesting to hear because we're just such a small. <laughs> I mean, we're not a small country, but compared to there's a lot more sheep in the U.S. I think. Oh, there are. It it's just it's a whole different dynamic here. Like a lot of the people that raise sheep here in America, for the most part. Now on the East Coast, it's it's a little bit different. I think it. And, and like up towards Canada way, I think it's a little different because it's more, you know, families that are doing it together. Whereas here for the most part, most of the sheep operations are run by old men and, and they don't, you know, they don't do the social media thing and they, they don't even really tell their competitors what they're doing because, you know, everybody thinks they've got like a good secret or, or you know, <laughs> it's, it's a whole different community as opposed to like the the Instagram community where everybody's very open and, and wanting to bring everybody up together. Yeah, we definitely have that up here too. And I've been finding that, especially in Canada, because we have the quota system for poultry and for dairy, that young um, people wanting to get into agriculture, they can't afford getting into the poultry or the dairy industry um, and they really see sheep as a really great opportunity so we've been having a, there's a lot of interest from young farmers or 
even people who aren't from farms, sheep's a really great way um, if they want to raise animals for them to get into farming. No, that's, that's so true. It is so true. Sheep are like the most versatile because yeah, you could raise goats too, but goats are really tough to raise and they're, they're not as hardy as a sheep and they're, um, they're really tough to keep fenced in. And unless you really know what you're doing, they're hard, but sheep are really great. And um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Perfect. And one last question. What are the big future plans? What have you got coming up next? Oh boy. Well, let's see. Near term. Let me see. Um, this summer I'm intending to expand my herd. I'm hoping to get up to um about six hundred ewes. Um, we'll see how that goes. But the market's really high right now, so I'm I'm hoping it kinda comes down on the use a little bit before I invest, but, um, do you keep your own replacements or are you purchasing it? I do keep my own replacements, um, to an extent, but on my replacements, I pretty much only keep twin new lambs. Um, just, you know, because I mean, you guys get a lot of triplets and and quads and things out there. That's, that's unheard of here. I mean, we get one or two, and about half the time it's one and it's, it's really hard to, you know, to make money when they're throwing one annually. So um, I'm really trying to work on my twinning percentages. Usually what I do to expand quickly is um, I'll buy sheep from some of those other regions I'd mentioned earlier where they, they graze their sheep in more mountainous areas um, where they might sell a you, you know, a couple years before, you know, you or I might, who has their sheep in a much easier area to, um, to get around and, and feed and things like that. So those use actually work really, really well in my system. So I'll keep them for a couple of years. They're proven use. They've, you know, been with those guys for, for five, six years. And, um, and they usually twin quite a bit. So, so you get a pretty good, pretty good return on those. Thanks for tuning in and make sure you head on over to Instagram to follow us at Circle Our Lamb where I'll be posting links to the episodes as well as the show notes and any related tip sheets and materials. Feel free to ask any questions or give us suggestions for future episodes. Thanks and happy farming!